Good morning. Happy Father's Day. I love Father's Day. I think it's my favorite day of the year. Like Father's Day, what could be better than that? I mean, the weather is better than Christmas, normally at least. At least the temperature is better. Maybe a little rainy today, but uh, we get the grills going. You might have smelled that when you were coming in. If you haven't made your way out there after service, we've got some chicken grilled and some different uh, seasonings for dads to take home. And Father's Day gifts, man, they are the best. I love those Father's Day gifts. Um, I already this morning had, uh, had some cards from my kids that were uh, stuck up on where I, I get my keys every morning. So I had that surprise this morning. Father's Day is, uh, is, a, is a good day. And the energy in the gathering area this morning was, was just great. It was a lot of fun. So today we're going to be talking about commandment number four. And some people have said, you should have skipped a command and talked about honor your father and mother on Father's Day. But I think what could be better on Father's Day than talking about work and rest. So uh, you, heard, you heard these kids talking about that. A lot of them talked about work. They connect work and, and dad for some reason. And some of them, Kent, can t- uh, talk about uh, rest for some reason. So you seem to be pretty good at that resting part. So, um, but I know Kent's a hard worker too. So uh, I think it worked out just perfect to be talking about work and rest on uh, Father's Day. So uh, all these commandments that we've looked at, though, up to this point, we, uh, we maybe have seen a little bit more than what we noticed at first glance. And I think that's true here, too. When I was a kid, I remember learning this command because it was just woven into my daily life. This is how things operated when I grew up around tobacco farms. Some of you may have worked around tobacco farms, too. Uh, some of my fondest memories growing up included those days on my grandparents' farms, Um, I was really too young to help a lot early on, but I remember being five or six years old and being highly qualified to do two things. Only you tobacco farmers are going to know about this. I I got to follow the setter. (laughs) So so I had a bundle of of tobacco plants, and I followed the tractor around the field, up and down the field. And any time they missed a plant, I I got to plant that one. And then pulling plants. And pulling plants is basically means you're in this bed of tobacco plants, and you're standing on your head all day long, and you get sunburned on your back, and you pull these plants out so they can be taken to the field. When it came time to do tobacco work, I loved that. Because all of the friends and the neighbors jumped in. I love that sense of community that we really don't have today. We don't have a thing like that where all of the neighbors come together to accomplish some task. And I always just thought that was so cool. And I look back at that fondly every morning, almost every morning. Almost every morning when it was time to set tobacco, when it was time to, uh, to cut tobacco, uh, we would get together almost every morning. We'd work until noon. We'd have this huge meal at noon. And then we'd go back to work until 5 or 6, and then we usually didn't eat much after that because we were too tired to move. Almost every day. I remember vividly that we didn't do this on Sundays. Sundays were special. On those days, we broke the normal rhythm of what we did during the week to do two things. First, we went to church. Second, we would rest. Now, I don't mean... Rest, I don't mean that we would lay on the couch and do nothing. Uh, We would enjoy ourselves. We would have leisure time. We would uh, uh, get together with the extended family and have a big meal. And we might go fishing or hunting or the cousins would get together to play kickball. So this is a command that's been well established in my mind as long as I can remember. And it seems kind of honoring today 
to be able to talk about that on Father's Day because both my parents worked regular jobs and worked around the farm, and many of you can relate to that. And if I were to talk about some of the virtues that my father passed on to me and my brother, the first thing I would probably mention would be work ethic. That was important to him. And that came honest to him and my mother both because my grandparents were incredibly hard workers, farmers. So I know at Plum Creek, we have a lot of dads here who are hardworking too. And a couple of generations from now, I just can think about it, I can almost picture it, that there's going to be some grandkids standing here at Plum Creek talking about the memory of, of you guys and how uh, there were two things that you were known for. You knew how to work and you knew how to have fun. And that was illustrated, I think, in this video. It's sort of your legacy. First, you work hard. Second, you have fun. And that's evident, I think, in your incredible sense of humor, fathers. I know uh, many of you, and you just have this incredible sense of humor. So over the past uh, week or so, I texted some of our dads, and I said, hey, could you just send me a video of some of your favorite jokes? And I thought we would share that to illustrate how good these guys are at having fun. So let's take a look. Do you know what kind of lettuce they served on the Titanic? Iceberg. Iceberg lettuce. Hey, have you heard the story about the race between the tomato, the water, and the lettuce? Oh, you haven't? Well, you see, the water was running, the lettuce was ahead, and the tomato, it was just trying to catch up. <laughs> what did the drummer name his twin daughters? Anna one, Anna two. Whenever the cashier asked my dad if he would like his milk in a bag, he always says... No, just leave it in the carton. Smart dad. I thought about doing an all almond diet, but that's just nuts. Yeah, you want to hear a construction joke? I'm still working on it. I pulled a shell off a snail, hoping it would make him faster. Actually, it had the opposite effect. It made him a little sluggish. Hey, Dad, what rhymes with orange? No, it doesn't. Okay, here's one, and you're going to love this. How does a penguin build its house? It glues it together. Get it? It glues. It lives in an eagle. So there's a double meaning, see? Hey, anyone need an ark? I know a guy. Hey, Eli, knock, knock. Who's that? Orange. Orange who? Aren't you glad I'm your daddy? Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, so maybe our guys need to stick at the work side and not the comedy side. But uh, I thought, what a great way to honor dads and to tell dad jokes, because we're all, you know, we're all used to our dads having these corny jokes. Uh, but we've got to get back to the text now and talk about work and rest. So here's how I want to approach this command today. I want us to look at the actual command and see what do we need to clarify in what's written in God's Word, and then look at the bigger picture and try to see why God gave us this command, and then talk about some practical ways to apply it. So commandment number four is a little bit different than the other commands that we've looked at so far, because it really has two parts. And I don't know if you've noticed this, and, I, and I've not gone that deep into it yet, we really only notice the first part of the command. So the command starts the way we remember. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. 
That's all we remember. We've got that part down. But basically, there is this day that we should keep holy. So the word Sabbath is probably a word you only hear at church. The origin of the word means to cease or to stop. And the word holy means to set apart. So basically, we have this day where we should set it apart, and that day should be different from all the other days. It's a day we don't work. We rest. But then God goes on to say the following, the next part that we sometimes forget in verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. So it isn't just that God say you should rest once a week. He also says you should work six days a week. So in the room today, there are people who are not following this command in the regular rhythm of, their, of your life. There are some of you here who don't take a day to rest. And some, some guys might be getting a nudge from, from their wives right now. You don't take a day to, to make holy, to set apart. And that's not the way God created you to live. He created you to take a break and to rest and to focus on Him as part of the regular rhythm of your week. And maybe... You're the same people who, when we talked about false gods, if you evaluated yourself, you may have thought, you know, I may have my job at the center of my life. And then there are some in this room who have the rest thing down. You spend more time figuring out how to get out of work than working. And when you evaluated yourself, you might have thought that, uh, you know, maybe I've got my own comfort at the center of my life. So this command's talking to both groups here, and it's not saying that one is better than the other. We tend to, especially as we get older, value the work all the time more than the rest all the time side. But the command is, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days you should work. Verse 10, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son, nor daughter, nor your male servant, or your uh, female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. God takes this day of rest, this holy day, serious. He uh, takes it so seriously, in fact, that he didn't want anyone to cheat the system. His people, when he talked to them, he said, I don't want you just to take a day off, but then hire somebody to do your work. I want you to cease work and to rest. A day that's holy, a true break. But where did this come from? I mean, why, why does God not want us just to work all the time? Or why is he so concerned with us working at least six days a week? We find that too uh, in, in the passage here. So why, not, why do we not get one day off every ten days? Or why doesn't God say two days off every seven days like many of us have today? Verse 11, for in six days... The Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them. But he rested on the seventh. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. This is important. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So this is a precedent that God set when he created the world. If we go back to the book of Genesis, we see that God worked. He created for six days. Those days looked like this. On day one, God created light. On day two, God created the sky and the atmosphere. On day three, God created dry land. On day four, God created the stars and the heavenly bodies. 
On day five, God worked and he created all that lives in the water. Day six, God worked and he created everything that lives on dry land, including uh, people. Day seven, God rested. He ceased his work. See, God set this pattern up for us in the very beginning. God worked for six days. He ceased work or rested on the seventh day. So again, in Exodus 20, we see God's people at the foot of Mount Sinai. We've said this over and over. They're having the proverbial family meeting. He's not some faraway dictator who's demanding obedience in order to earn his love. He's the father who's already adopted He's already loved. He's already set free. In fact, this command of the Sabbath was probably pretty welcome to these people who had been slaves for generations. It's not likely the Egyptians gave them a lot of time off. So God's saying, I created you to live this way, to live this pattern. And if you take your work as a false god, that's not how I created you. And if you make yourself or your comfort and pleasure your false god, you won't work at all. And that's not the way I created you. I created you to be industrious. Work is important. We see from the very beginning that we are created to do work. Genesis chapter 2 says this. The Lord God took man, Adam, and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So this is before the curse. Work isn't a curse. Work was before the curse, and that's why Adam was created. Even in the New Testament, 1,500 years after the Ten Commandments were written, Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 2. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When we work in our jobs, on our property, or for the kingdom, we find some sense of fulfillment God knows that because he created us to do that. We're working in the way we're, we're working the way we were created to work. So work helps us to find at least some sense of fulfillment. And this work doesn't just mean physical labor. God also wants us to work intellectually. And some of you, your jobs are more intellectual than they are physical. And we see that God intended us to work that way from the pattern of what God did. Now we can't even imagine the creativity that was required for God to create everything, if we go back to this creation idea. I mean, I love trees. I know it sounds kind of weird, but I just love trees. I love looking at trees. We have some big oak trees in our yard. I love those. I was at a friend's house a couple weeks ago, and I noticed this big sycamore tree. And I'm talking all about this sycamore tree to my friend, and he's like, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's nice. And I keep going on and on about it. And a few years ago, I had a chance to go to California and see the sequoia trees. I don't know if you've ever seen those. They're incredible. And my dad called me while I was in California. He said, tell me about the sequoia trees. And I said, you can't. You can't explain it. You just have to come see it. I love trees. So when God created trees and everything else, he created those out of nothing. I mean, he didn't have any ideas to go from about trees. He didn't have sketches of trees or drawing of trees or models or pictures. He just came up with the idea of trees. And not only that, he made trees out of nothing. He didn't have any materials to start with. He just created them. So that's pretty incredible. And I think that illustrates that God creates for us uh, this idea for us. He created us to be also creative, to be intellectual, to do intellectual work. 
And we see that also modeled in Genesis chapter 2, just a few verses later. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and he brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every, every living creature, that was his name. So Adam had this intellectual work to do to name all these animals, and he came up with some pretty interesting and crazy stuff. It's fulfilling for us when we do both types of work because we were created to work. So I have this riding mower at my house that eats belts. I mean, I can't explain it, but I figured out uh, the other day because I was so frustrated that I can mow my yard about two and a half times and a belt breaks. So uh, I'm constantly putting belts on this thing and I've taken it to the shop to figure out what's wrong. I get it back two and a half times the belt breaks. Two and a half times means, of course, that my yard is always halfway mowed when it breaks. So I decided this summer I am getting this mower working. And I am not a mechanic, uh, but I am very good at looking things up on YouTube. So you might see me in the yard working on things like uh, my boat or, uh, or a mower, and I'll have my phone set up and watching the video and rewinding it to try to figure out how to do it. So with this mower, I, I mean, I tore it apart. I had pieces everywhere all over the driveway. I took the carburetors off, and I cleaned them, and I put them back, and I changed a fuel filter. I put on a new battery, and I took the deck off and replaced all the belts. So guess what happened? Two and a half mowings after I did all that, the belt broke. So I was ready to go to Sam's and buy a bulk box of belts so I could just keep replacing them. I uh, thought maybe it'd be cheaper that way. But I really decided I was going to dig in and figure out what was going on. So I got under the mower a couple weeks ago, and I noticed that there was something connected wrong, and one of the pulleys was here, and one was here, and the belt was on, not, not level. So it was starting to pinch the belt. And I, I just got so excited because I thought, ah, I fixed it. I fixed this thing, and I got it connected right, and it looks all perfect now, and I've mowed the yard exactly two times. So this week, if you see my yard half mowed, you know, throw the mower on the truck and come over and help me out. But there was just such a sense of accomplishment when I figured out what was wrong, and I think you have been there as well. It might have been with work or something around the house or some way that you were serving in the kingdom where there was something you figured out and it just made sense and it made you feel like you had accomplished something. You felt fulfilled. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. This is what I have observed to be good, the writer says, that it's appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor. To find satisfaction in their work under the sun during the few days of life God has given them. For this is their lot. Moreover, when God give one, gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability for them to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil or their work, this is a gift from God. I've heard it said before, if you find something you love to do, you never have to work a day in your life. There's another reason that work's important, though, and this one actually applies both to rest and to work. We've already alluded to it, but I want to spend a little more time here because when we work and when we rest, it's in this rhythm that God creates. And when we do that, it makes us imitate him. See, God didn't need to rest. He didn't have to have a break. But he set, that, he set that rhythm up for us so when we did it, we would be imitating him here on earth. God worked for six days. He rested one. We work for six days. We rest one. This rhythm illustrates that we're created in the image of God. 
It should help remind us that when we're here on earth, we are representation. We are representation of who God is. And that helps us understand our identity. We've talked about this before. You'll hear this, uh, these few statements over and over again. We were created in God's image. We messed that image up with sin. Living in a way that was outside of the way God created us to live. Sin always leads to suffering. In this case, it might be burnout uh, or, uh, or thinking uh, that, that we can always uh, accomplish everything and be in control. So these commands were given to help us understand the nature of God and to bring us back to the image of God. But the law could never do that. The law just helped to point us to Jesus. So when we follow Jesus, when we're united with him, we worship him. When we worship, we become like what we worship. So Jesus completes that task of bringing us back to the image of God. But this command, in particular, helps to align us with that on a weekly basis. It helps to remind us who we are. Uh, By taking that day off every week, it should help us remember, ah, I'm a child of God. I'm created in his image. Too often we think, "Uh, I'm not good enough. Or sometimes we think, I am really a lot better than what I really am. And other people think those same things too. Other people might tell you that you're not good enough. Or other people may tell you you're better than you really are. But what really matters is who we are in God's eyes, our identity in God's eyes. And we are an image of the creator God, a child of the king. So I've talked about work, I want to move on and also talk about rest. And while I do, I want to mention something that's a little bit confusing, so I want to talk about that some. This command to rest on the seventh day, the way the Lord rested on the seventh day, you may be thinking, when I look at my calendar, I see the seventh day on it is Saturday. So what do I do with that? Am I supposed to rest on Saturday, or do I rest on Sunday? So another thing that's interesting about this command is it's the only one that's not explicitly restated in the New Testament. All of the other Ten Commandments are said as commands in the New Testament. But the New Testament never commands us again to keep the Sabbath. So you remember we talked about the Pharisees last week. We said that they were more interested in the letter of the law than the spirit of the law. And the Pharisees were great at following this command in particular. I mean, on Saturdays, they did nothing. Even if there was emergency, they would like say, this has to wait until tomorrow or sundown. They prepared their meals in advance so they wouldn't have to cook because that would be work. They actually had 39 kinds of work that they said, these are things that are prohibited on the Sabbath, on Saturday. And they were things that they had just made up. It wasn't actually part of God's word. And um, they were things like, uh, you can't light a fire on the Sabbath. And uh, it's a good thing that was on the list because it was also against, the, against their law to extinguish a fire. So they wouldn't want to be lighting a fire. It was considered work to light a candle. And that would have been a problem since they had no electricity. So I, I guess they sat in the dark. They also weren't allowed to look in a mirror. I really can't explain that one. But I do know that they could not eat an egg that was laid on the Sabbath because that would have required the chicken to do work. Their laws were ridiculous. They had a law about their shoes. Their shoes were put together with metal tacks 
But on Saturday, they had special shoes because walking around with metal tacks in your shoe would be considered lifting the tack, and that would be work. So in the book of Mark, Jesus addresses the Pharisees in this. Mark, uh, in Mark, he says, one, uh, one Sabbath, Jesus was growing through the grain fields, and his disciples, his followers who were with him, they started to pick heads of grain. And the Pharisees started freaking out. They're like, what are you doing? You can't, you can't do this. Look, they're, it's unlawful to work on the Sabbath. So Jesus answered by telling them this story about David, their king from the Old Testament. And then he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even on the Sabbath. So what Jesus is saying here is, don't get so caught up in the letter of the law The spirit of the law is that we were created to rest. And that's what God made the day of rest for. So this rhythm of working six days and seven days is important. And it's important, too, that we have a day that's set apart to focus on God. That same day of rest is a day to focus on God. So when Jesus died and he raised from the dead on the first day of the week, the church began making Sunday their day that was God-focused. So that's why today we have confusion about Sunday or Saturday. The Old Testament says Sunday. The New Testament doesn't make a command about that, but the New Testament church began to make their God-focused day Sunday, the first day of the week. See, we're talking about the spirit of the law. Romans 14 says, One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day the same. Each of them should, fully, should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. So it seems from Scripture that what day we set apart isn't as important as that, that we actually do it, that we're actually taking that break, that we take a day to focus on God. We take a day to rest. We take a day to break the daily routine of work. So if you have to work on Sundays, which I know some of you do, Make another day that you intentionally focus on God and rest. If your schedule rotates, your day of rest may need to rotate. Just make sure that you're intentionally finding time to do what you were created to do. Follow the spirit of the law. So I was reading an article um, a while back, and that article was from Inc., magazine, Incorporated Magazine. Uh, So uh, it was 12 Scientific Reasons Why Rest Works. And they found all, they've done all this research about the benefits of taking a regular day off. It was things like uh, time off reduces stress. Time off boosts your immune system. People who take regular time off live longer. Shorter work weeks result in more productivity. Now, I don't particularly care about what Inc. Magazine says about my schedule. I care about what God says about that rhythm. But I found it interesting that they talked about all the benefits of taking the time off and never mentioned God. But as I thought about all these benefits, I thought, of course. God's our creator. He's the one who designed us. Of course it's more healthy to do this. So what are some practical things? you can do to make sure you're practicing the Sabbath and living in this command. I think the first thing that you can do is to think about your routine. Are you working too little? Are you working too much? It goes back to the question we asked a few weeks ago about what false gods do you have at the center of your life? 
So you need to be intentional, and you need to assess that and figure it out. Next, think about what day makes the most sense for you to make holy, to set apart, to break the daily routine of work. But remember, part of keeping that Sabbath is not just to rest, but also to focus on God. So Sunday makes a lot of sense for most people. It's a day we have corporate worship right here every week. You can come here and focus on God on Sunday mornings. My family in the past have also attended life group on Sunday nights. Life groups are small group Bible studies that we have. They don't meet in the summer, but in September they'll start back up. We'll have sign-ups in August for those. So these small group Bible studies, we get together with other followers of Jesus and we talk about Scripture. So really most of our day on Sunday is get up, come to church, rest, go out over to someone's house and talk about Jesus with other believers. That may not be the right rhythm for you, but it's the right rhythm for our family. Finally, think about what you'll do to make that day different. What are you going to do differently on this day than you do all the other days? If your job is sitting in a desk or driving all week, laying on the couch might not be the best way for you to rest. In fact, a day set apart may be very active in your case. Maybe yard work is the way that you rest. Uh, Some of you know about my vacation planning. I love planning vacations. I was tempted to show you a color-coded spreadsheet of one of my days of vacation that I put together. Angie loves it when I plan it that detailed. I like my vacations to be full of activity. So we go to Hilton Head sometimes, and I wake up early in the morning, and I go play golf, and I'm back to the room as my family's waking up. I've already played 18 holes of golf. And after they wake up, we might go fishing or go to the pool or go to the beach or ride bikes. And I want to do something all day. And then I want to go get some fresh seafood and maybe go out to eat or cook it in our room. And then we clean up from that and go to the beach or somewhere to watch the sunset. My day is full of activity. But that's how I rest. That's how I break the routine, the daily routine of work. And maybe you do the same. See, many of those activities help me focus on God because I'm not able to be out in creation when I'm at work here in the office working on accounting stuff uh, in front of a computer. So think about what you could do to make that day look different than the other six days. That's the type of thing that you should be doing. And remember... Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, we've already read this, says, The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This day is meant to be a blessing for you. Don't be careless with it. Claim that as a promise. Claim that gift from God. God says you can rest, and you will find at least some fulfillment in your work. I want to close the day by looking at John chapter 5, though. Here we find Jesus in the city of Jerusalem. I'm just going to go ahead and jump into this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And uh, here a great number of disabled, disabled people used to lie the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. So what was happening here was this pool, 
And uh, these people would come because they had this, uh, this idea, which, you know, Scripture doesn't tell us this is, this, is ac- this is an accurate thing to believe, but they had the idea that when the waters of this pool would be stirred, either by wind or uh, by a, a bug landing in it or a bird swooping down, when the water was stirred, that it was actually an angel coming. And the first person who made it to the pool of water would be healed. That was what they believed. So there was one who was here at this pool who had been uh, invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked, do you want to get well? I thought that was kind of a funny question to ask. I mean, the guy's been unable to walk for 38 years. And he's been down there trying to get into this pool for 38 years. Do you want to get well? I think it's funny because um, it just seems like this odd question. But then I start to think about my own condition. The condition of having this image of God, but it being twisted and distorted and marred. Because I have this tendency and this hunger to do things my own way. I have these false gods that are at the center of my life. And all this sin, I know, leads to suffering. And I know you're in the same boat as I am because it's the human condition. And if Jesus was asking us, do you want to get well? I don't know that all of us would say yes. Too often we just say, no, I got this. I'll do it my own way. I'll figure it out. I'll figure out how to make myself happy and completely fulfilled. I'll work more. I'll work all the time. I'll be successful. I'll spend more. I'll take more time to do self-centered leisure things that make me happy, and maybe that will lead me to be uh, healed, lead me to be not empty. So Jesus asked this man, do you want to get well? And the man says, I have no one to help me to the pool. So when the water is stirred, this superstition that he had, when the water is stirred while I'm trying to get in, someone always jumps in front of me. And Jesus says to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man is cured. He picks up his mat, and he walks away. So we read this story, and we say, wow, that's amazing. How cool is that? Jesus has the power to heal people, and he can tell somebody who hasn't walked for 38 years to stand up and start walking. The man was created to be able to walk, and Jesus restored him physically to be able to do that again. But we forget that Jesus also has the power, and I think it's a greater power, to restore us to the way we were created. Not physically, but back to the image of God. Back to his likeness. And that's the real miracle, and Jesus can do that for you. But we just keep trying to do it our own way. Maybe if I work more, maybe if I spend more, maybe if I do whatever more, I'll feel this emptiness in my life. But that's not it. Jesus does it for us. And the next part is what got me on this. I had always missed this. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. So Jesus did this work of this healing work on the day of rest. So we see, we think our work, if we just work more and more and more, we think that work is going to bring us complete fulfillment. It brings us some fulfillment because that's where we're created. But we think it's going to, it's always the answer 
We think that what we do alone will always bring us the fulfillment and happiness we want, but that's not it. It's the work of Jesus. And Jesus says he's always doing that work. And we, when we get out of alignment with this and we start to rely on ourselves, that's when we have trouble. And if we just stay in the story for just a few more minutes, John chapter 5 says, so because Jesus is doing these things on the Sabbath, remember the Pharisees? These Jewish leaders begin to persecute him. They start to get upset. And in his defense, Jesus says, my father is always at his work. He doesn't need the Sabbath. My father is always at his work, and I too am working. So the Pharisees here, they start to get upset. Actually, they're furious. So Jesus is not only breaking the law, he's wrecking their understanding of culture. He's wrecking their understanding of the letter of the law, but he's also claiming here to be God which he is. So already in chapter 5, just five chapters in of John's account of the story of the life of Jesus, these guys are trying to figure out, we got to get rid of Jesus. we got to get rid of him. And it's not just that Jesus is breaking the Sabbath command in their eyes. When he told the man to carry his mat, remember that? He said, get up and carry your mat. The Pharisees were upset about that too because carrying the mat would have been work. Carrying his mat would have broken one of the 39 types of work that they had forbidden on the Sabbath. So he was telling others to break this notion of Sabbath command too in their eyes. But what Jesus was saying is, you're created in God's image. I'm going to restore your physical image. I'm going to bring you back to the image of God. And the Sabbath is really about you. It's a promise that you can claim. So get up and carry your mat. It's a blessing for you. Enjoy it in a way you haven't been able to in 38 years. And then he tells us, just a few verses later in chapter 5, verse 16, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, listen to this, will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Jesus says, I'm restoring you. The same way he restored this uh, man who has been able to walk for 38 years, I'm restoring you. I'm restoring you from this idea that's been drilled in your head that you have to perform well in order to be loved. You are loved. This idea that you have to work more, and if I just work more, if I just work harder, if I just do more, I'll be accepted. You are accepted. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to earn it. Jesus has done it for you. And, we, and when we hear his word and we, will be, and we believe, Scripture says we will not be judged. We will have life, fulfilled life, living out the image of the way we were created. And the grace of Jesus is what does that work. We can never do anything to earn it, so stop trying. The Sabbath rest reminds us of that. The Sabbath rest is God saying, take a break. You're not the one that earns it anyway. Jesus does that. It points straight to Jesus and reminds us that it's his work and not ours. So maybe some of you have never taken that step. So maybe today you have to evaluate, you know, different things in your life. Are you working too much? Or are you uh, working too little? Uh, are you taking a day to focus on God and rest? But maybe for some of you it's, I have relied on myself to bring this fulfillment and I know only Jesus can do that, and I want to accept him. There's a chance for you to do that today. You can do it right here today, 
or you can contact any of the staff or one of your friends who's a believer and just ask them how to make that happen. You can do that this week. And if you want to do it today, you can come up front and talk to us now. But I hope today that we'll take time to think about this Sabbath, Sabbath rest. I'd like to pray and then we'll sing. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word and I thank you for the clarity of the Ten Commandments of that uh, th this is your image. This is how you have created us to live. And if we want to live in your image, then we can follow these things. And they're not just some commands from some far off dictator. They're promises of our loving Father. We remember that specifically today on Father's Day. We thank you for that. Father, some of us have had great fathers. But Father, there are others in this room that the only idea they have about Father being good is because they know you. There are some in this room that don't even have that. Father, I pray that you reveal that to them. And Father, mostly today, I hope that we all will be able to uh, experience the blessing of what it means to be fulfilled in this rhythm of working six days, but also taking a day to rest, but not just to rest, to focus on you. And most importantly, that every person in this room would recognize that it's not our work that saves us, but it's the work that you did when you sent your son Jesus to die for us. So Father, we just thank you for that now. Pray for blessing on the rest of our week. And thank you most of all for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.